talking about the beauty of holiness. And um, a couple weeks ago, I, I showed you this image, and we talked about this, this question of who, who decides if art is any good. And, you know, the difference between uh, realism, and I, I don't know if any of you are art aficionados at all, uh, or know anything about the, the art world, but, um, you know, I, I know very little, but just, just enough. Um, I think I know enough to know, that I, w- to know what I like. I know what pleases my eye. Um, and um, when you get into the realm of abstract art, I know that there are certain... There are certain things that I've seen that are, are called abstract art that are pleasing to my eye when you're talking about shapes and colors and, and, and all of that. But when you get into this, this um, you know, things like Picasso would paint where, you know, you have two eyes on one side of the head and a nose pointing off in the opposite direction and uh, that just, I don't, I don't understand that. I don't get that. And as I said, those kinds of things, if I were grading, I would have to take points off for that kind of artwork, even though Picasso is, has become very, very famous. Um, but really, we, t- we say, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, beauty is skin deep, those kinds of things, different aspects of, of our understanding or ideas about beauty. Um, the definition that we mentioned a couple weeks ago of what is beauty, beauty is the quality or aggregate of qualities in a person or thing that gives pleasure to the senses or pleasurably exalts the mind or the spirit. And what I find helpful is if there is a an external standard by which something can be compared or graded or judged. And, uh, you know, when we're talking about art, things like this are easy because you can look at the picture and you can tell what it is and it looks like what it's supposed to be. And I think, well, that's a pretty good painting. That person did a good job. Um, When we talk about the beauty of holiness... Last week, we spoke about this, um, the, the beauty of holiness being seen in Jesus Christ. And this evening, I want to talk to you about the relational aspect of the beauty of holiness. The beauty of holiness is that it, one of the aspects of the beauty of holiness is that it is relational. And I, I mentioned a moment ago, having an external standard, an out. Uh, uh, um, something that you can compare to to say, well, this is good and this is right and, and this lives up to the standard of, of beauty. Um, I believe that we see that, one of the places we see that when we're talking about the beauty of holiness, when we're talking about Jesus, and especially when we talk about this relational aspect of the beauty of holiness, I believe we see it in John 17. John chapter 17 gives us a good place in which to see this uh, kind of the, the relationship between 
Jesus and his Father. It's one of the places we get insight into that relationship. It also shows us what is on Jesus' mind shortly before his death. Uh, You know, if you want to know what really matters to a person, what is really important to them, uh, you listen and, and look at the things that they are saying in the last few moments of their life. And very often, if there is, a, if there is an awareness, if there is a, an alertness, you see that that's when, those, that's when those things, those values come to the forefront. John chapter 17 is the Lord's Prayer. We, the, the, the Lord's Prayer we talk about we say is the Lord's Prayer that we quote our Father which art in heaven. That's really the disciples' prayer. Uh, this is the Lord's Prayer, John chapter 17. And this shows aspects also of holiness, the beauty of holiness. And we see here the emphasis on relationship. The, the beauty of holiness is relational and and what I mean by that if I don't know if you know what I mean by a beautiful relationship have you ever seen a relationship that you have thought that's just that is a beautiful relationship whether it's uh, it might be a it might be a young couple newly in love or what I think is is more beautiful still is an elderly couple still in love after Years have gone by, and you've seen them. You, you've seen them go through trouble and problems together, and they have simply deepened in their love for each other. And you know, sometimes it's those those uh, those kinds of relationships where people, uh, a husband and a wife, have been together for so long that they almost they start to look like each other and they start to act like each other, and and those kinds of things. Um, and you, say, you look at that and you say, that is just, that's a beautiful relationship. When I think about a relationship that is beautiful, I think of one where there is a glad and happy identification with the other person without any shame and any hesitation. They are glad and happy to identify with this other person, whether it's a brother or a sister or a spouse or a friend, what have you. Uh, they are are glad and happy to be identified with this other person. We'll try to go on and make this a little bit more clear. But as we look at John chapter 17, I want to start out by mentioning to you that it's interesting to me that this chapter has kind of matching ends. There are bookends. It, it begins and ends in a similar fashion. If you look at Chapter 17, verse 1, uh, the beginning verses, partway through, Jesus uh, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, if you will, skip down through to the end of the chapter to verse 24. 
and look at the comparisons in these verses and the first few verses. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So you see there, there are bookends. We begin and end by talking about the glory that Jesus shared with the Father, and also by talking about this relational aspect uh, of, of eternal life, and I would say of holiness. In verse 3, Jesus says this is eternal life. This is what eternal life is. It is to have a relationship with God and with Jesus Christ. And then at the end, he reframes that, rephrases it in different words, and talks about, verse 26, I have made known to them your name, will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Now, people, this is, this is a staggering thought, a staggering idea that the love with which God loved Jesus can be in you and can be in me. Now, that's something that if you're not... Um, if you're, not, if you're not staggered, if you're not overwhelmed by that, you ought to take this home and read it and reread it and, and let it sink in for a little while until you begin to realize that the same love that God the Father has for His only begotten Son, Jesus, is the same love that can be in you and in me. And it tells us here in this passage, what it seems to point out to me is that one of the most important things Jesus wants to leave behind with his disciples and with those who would later become his followers is this emphasis on relationship. And it is in this context that he also talks about sanctification. Now, sanctification is an idea, a, a word that has uh, that we've heard a lot in our churches. We read it here in this chapter in verses uh, 17 through 20, 17 through 19. Uh, Jesus is praying. In verse 17, he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate, same word, sanctify, consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified again the same word it's hagiadzo that they may be sanctified in truth or in reality now if if it sounds like there's a whole lot of ideas and concepts coming from different directions just try to hang with me and we'll try to tie it all together by the time we get to the end Sanctification or consecration, and again, I mentioned these two words, they're, they're the same word in the original language, um, verse 17 and 19. Uh, there are two, primarily two concepts that are involved in these words. One is the idea of being separated from. When something is sanctified or consecrated, it is separated away from. 
And uh, if you want to study more deeply into the meaning of this, you can study especially the book, the Old Testament book of Leviticus in uh, the, uh, the, the background of uh, the tabernacle and the ordaining of the priests and all of that and the, the furniture and all of the implements that were to be used in, in uh, the sacrificial uh, system of worship and how those items were sanctified or consecrated. They were separated from common, everyday, ordinary usage to be dedicated to. This is the other concept. Separated away from and then dedicated unto uh, a particular use or a particular purpose. Now, um, in the Old Testament, especially the book of Leviticus, we read a lot about being separated from what is unclean or what is considered defiling. And there, uh, in that uh, context, it had a lot to do with things like dead bodies and bodily fluids and functions and all kinds of things that when you go back and you read through it, you think, hmm, that's, this is kind of odd. But it was all about teaching God's people this concept of holiness, what it was for something to be holy, to be sanctified or consecrated, is separated away from what is impure, defiling, or simply ordinary, and then dedicated to the exclusive use and purpose of God. Now, we mentioned a moment ago that the beauty of holiness is relational, and that relationships are beautiful in their own way. Different kinds of relationships, whether it be a, 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 a child with a parent or a spouse or a, or a brother-sister, one, one of the most valuable relationships in the world to me is my relationship with my sister. It's not, and it's on, a, it's on a different level, it's on a different plane from my, from my relationship with my wife or my relationship with my, with my children. Some of you know this, but the, it, actually the very closest biological connection that you can have with anybody on earth is a sibling. And uh, for a number of reasons, I, I so highly value that, that relationship. And I mentioned a moment ago this beauty, part of the beauty of a relationship being a glad and happy identification with the person involved, with no shame, no hesitation. You would say, it's as if you would say, yes, I, this is my sister, this is my brother, or this is my spouse, and I am, I am happy, I am proud to claim them as my family member, as my loved one, as my friend. Now, to connect these ideas, Jesus said in verse 17, he prayed, sanctify them in the truth. In verse 19, he said, for their sake, I sanctify myself. For their sake, I sanctify myself or I consecrate myself. Now, looking at these ideas of separated from and dedicated to, you know, Jesus I suppose there is a sense in which he separated himself from some things. He separated himself from the heavenly glory that he had with his father. But the truth is 
the need in you and I to be separated away from something in order to be dedicated to the Lord, that did not exist in Jesus. There is, there is no impurity, there is no defilement in Jesus Christ. There is nothing ordinary about Jesus Christ. So in that sense, there was no need for himself to, for him to be separated away from anything. His full existence from prior to his birth as a baby in Bethlehem, throughout his entire life, his whole existence was nothing but pure devotement to God the Father, the word, the will, and the work of his heavenly Father. A glad and happy identification with his heavenly Father. As we look through this chapter in John chapter 17, I see this relationship between Jesus and the Father in a number of different ways. I see the glad identification of Jesus with his heavenly Father, first of all, no matter the place. No matter the place, Jesus shared this glad and happy identification with the Father. Notice verses 4 through 5. Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has existed from eternity past as the Son of God, the only begotten. He appears uh, in the New Testament often as the angel of the Lord, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, uh, not, a, a, uh, not as the baby born in Bethlehem. Um, and uh, I'm really sorry, my, again, my train just jumped the rails. But Jesus from eternity past shared this glad identity uh, with, with the Father. And he said, when the plan of redemption began to be put in place, and it became necessary for one of the members of the triune Godhead to come down to earth to represent God to sinful humanity, to show us what God is like, God the Son, Jesus, said, I will willingly, gladly do that, and I will separate myself from my heavenly glory to go and manifest you to the world, to the earth. And there, in, in, in this setting, in this world, this fallen world, Jesus was not ashamed to declare, to manifest the glory of God to us. He shared that, he demonstrated that identity no matter the place. Friends, I believe that when we think about holiness and when we think about the beauty uh, of holiness and the beauty, the relational beauty of holiness, I believe this is one of the things that God is looking for in you and I, those people who follow him. People who are willing to be, uh, to be identified with God, to be identified with Jesus Christ no matter the place. It's easy for Jesus to, to, to share the glory of God in heaven. But he says, yes, I will willingly empty myself of all of that and come down to a sinful, sin-cursed world and there also share this glad and happy identification with God the Father. And I believe that God in 
us is looking for that same identification that we so separate ourselves from the world, from whatever would perhaps defile us or cause us to be impure or even simply ordinary and say, I don't, I belong to something better than this earthly kingdom. I belong to the kingdom of heaven and be one who gladly identifies with God, who gladly identifies with Jesus Christ, no matter where we are, no matter the place. Jesus also shares this identity, this relationship with the Father, no matter the people that he is with. I don't know how many of you have ever been embarrassed by your family. Um, I have a, a cousin by marriage who was a, just a goofball, yeah, and uh, I remember being with, uh, going on, I don't know, outings, whatever, I, I remember going somewhere with him in the group, and walking down the street, he would come, he would do something like this occasionally, just to be, just to be silly, just to be funny. He would walk across a, a parking lot and come to a place where you step up on a curb, and he would pretend to be, you know, really elderly and feeble, and he would slow down, and then he would get down like this and put one hand, and then he would step up, up like that. And I remember watching him do that, and there are people all around, you know, and, and I would just kind of stand back and distance myself and pretend like that's, I'm not with them. That, they don't, you know. I had friends who would, f for fun, in the, in the midst of a crowd, start to just randomly look up at the sky. And then maybe after a few moments of looking up into the sky, begin to point and move their finger across the sky. Nothing there. But eventually you end up with a few people gathered around looking and trying to see, what are you, what are you looking at? You know, and you just, oh dear. You know, people that you don't want to identify with that, that you belong to. Jesus was never ashamed or afraid to identify himself with God the Father. He always consistently, faithfully identified himself as being God's representative. And uh, on one occasion when the disciples asked him, have I, have I been, uh, they said, show us the Father. Show us the Father and it sufficeth us. It is enough for us. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long and you still don't understand, you still don't recognize? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Verse 6 of John 17, Jesus said, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them. Jesus, from the very time he was a young boy, Jesus was all about manifesting or revealing the Father. From the very early ages of his life as a young boy, when he got separated from his mom and dad and they lost him and looked for a few days until finally they went back and found him in the temple exactly where they had left him and 
why have you done that? Why are you, why are you treating us this way? You know, mom and dad. Jesus, young boy, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? From the very early ages of his life, he revealed and manifested the father. He did it in such a way that the people that knew him best believed in him. They believed in him. Notice verse 8. It says, I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I believe that God wants you and me to be so separated from the things that are perhaps defiling and then so dedicated unto Him, so devoted to Him that the world around us will have no question about our identity, that we belong to Jesus Christ. I've told you this before, and I the risk of repeating myself, I'm going to repeat myself. People that I've worked with that claimed the name of Christ and then been around them on other times and occasions and hear them maybe telling smutty stories or using bad language. And, and I don't think I ever did, but more than once I wanted to pull them aside and say, listen, if you're going to talk like that, if you're going to tell those kind of stories, if that's going to be in your vocabulary, would you please just not let, every, not let anybody know that you claim to be a Christian? I, I don't, I don't want to be... Now, I never did that. <laughs> I never did that. But people, there is something about the way we act that ought to reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ and leave people that observe us without any doubt of who we belong to and whose name we claim. And this is what Jesus is saying. No matter the people, no matter, matter the crowd I'm in, no matter who I'm with, I am revealing the Father, I'm demonstrating the Father to them, and I'm doing it in such a way that the people that have observed me, they believe what I say. They believe that I really am from God. They're confident. And they knew what Jesus was all about. People, it doesn't, it doesn't take long before the people that we are around know what we are all about. And it all comes back to this idea of what we have been separated away from and what we have been devoted to. No matter the place, no matter the people, no matter the pressure, no matter the pressure, Jesus fully identified himself with God the Father. Notice verses 12 through 15 of John 17. Jesus says, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. Verse 13, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. People Jesus showed in all kinds of settings his full devotion to God the Father. When he was trying to escape the pressures of the crowd, 
when he was trying to find some place to be alone to mourn the death of his cousin, John the Baptist. It's an interesting study to look at all that happened in one day in the life of Jesus. There's one particular day his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded, and, and he was trying to go and find a place to be alone, and, and thousands were fed. There's so much in that one day that happened, and that also happens to be the day that when he's trying to go and find a place to be alone with his disciples, with his closest friends, his closest followers, that the multitudes find him. And the Bible says he looked on them and he was moved with compassion because he saw them as sheep having no shepherd. And he ministered to them. Jesus was the same, no matter the place, no matter the people, no matter the pressure. Jesus tells us, in this world you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. And in all places and times and settings, Jesus demonstrated faithfully that there was nothing that needed to be separated out of him in order for him to be fully devoted to the Father. He showed a complete and happy identification with God the Father. And I believe that's what God is looking for from you and I. We know this, this teaching is common I thank God for the work of salvation, for the work of regeneration by which we are cleansed, we are forgiven of our sins. The guilt of the deeds of sin has been uh, has been taken away. Yet as far as I know every uh, every orthodox denomination, every church pretty much believes that there is something of sin that remains in the heart of the, the, the person after conversion. There is, there is guilt of deeds of sin that is forgiven at salvation, yet there is a principle of sin that remains in our hearts after we are saved. And friends, in the work of entire sanctification, it is this that God wants to work to separate out of us. And it takes place through consecration and sanctification. You see, that sin principle, that nature that we are born with, it's not something that we need to be forgiven for. Because it's not our fault that we have it. It's something we cannot help having. We are born having it. Yet, thank God, it is our understanding that we do not have to keep it. And through, through a work of sanctification, a, a work of being separated away from what is defiling and what is ordinary, and a work of consecration, dedication, devotement unto God the Father, we can have our hearts cleansed and purified by faith. I want you to notice in these, the, the kind of the middle to the end portion Uh, of John chapter 17, Jesus' prayer, verses 17 through 23. He says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. That is in reality. That it might be something really concrete something that really happens in our lives verse 20 i do not ask for these only 
In other words, not just for these 12 that are around me right now, what Jesus is saying, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You know who that involves? That involves you and that involves me. Jesus has prayed for us. He has prayed for you that not only would we be regenerated, born again, but that we would be sanctified in reality, that our hearts would be cleansed and purified by faith. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me. In other words, that there is such a degree of separation away from anything that might defile and a full devotion unto God the Father, that there is a complete unity. There is a glad and happy identification in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, a cleansing by His Spirit so that no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, no matter the crowd we're in, we can identify ourselves because of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I've seen plenty in me that has needed separated out separated out. Jesus is one who never had anything that needed separated from him. Yes, he separated himself from the glory that he shared with the Father, but as far as anything defiling or ordinary, he had nothing that needed to be separated, yet he was fully devoted always to the Father. You see, that, what, that which remains in us of the nature that we are born with will continually hinder us from being fully devoted unto the Father. And God can, God wants to cleanse us of that that remains. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says to, that we are to give thanks in everything uh, and that we are to prove, demonstrate uh, the spirits. Well, let me just, my, my mind is not working tonight. I'm sorry, forgive me. But let me just read to you the verses from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. <clears throat> Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That is through and through. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is not something that is to take place in the sweet by and by uh, in, when, when the roll is called up yonder. This is something that can take place in our hearts and lives here and now. And when we think about this beauty, I was thinking about this the other day. And here's where I'm going to try to tie all of this together. And, and hopefully help it, help it to make sense for you. Um, beauty comes at a price. Beauty comes at a price. We see people in the world today paying all kinds of, of 
money to try to maintain physical beauty. They're fighting a losing battle. Paying all kinds of money, putting forth all kinds of effort, trying to maintain physical beauty. Beauty comes at a price. Beauty, this, this relationship that Jesus enjoyed with God the Father cost him a, a great price. This unity, this union with the Father. His commitment to the will and to the word and to the way of the Father cost him his very life. It brought him to the place of going to the cross and laying down his life. And friends, it will cost you and I no less of a price. The laying down of ourselves. Jesus said, if anyone would be my disciple, let him take up his cross and follow me. The Apostle Paul spoke in these words. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. In the past few days, God has been working on me uh, about this. And I was, oh, I was listening to a, a recording by an old Nazarene preacher named Ross Lee. I don't know if you all have heard of Ross Lee out here. His, his son, Ted Lee, was, uh, the, was a, a later district superintendent on the Indianapolis district. His father, Ross Lee, was an old, I thought he was an old man when I was a little boy. He probably wasn't that old, but I thought he was an old man then. And uh, he, at one time, had been the district superintendent of the uh, Indianapolis district of the Church of the Nazarene, a wonderful old holiness preacher, was listening to a recording of him preaching at a camp meeting, preaching on holiness, and uh, was so good to hear him speak and to enjoy the atmosphere on that recording. I don't know if you've ever listened to uh, recordings where it just the atmosphere comes, comes out, comes through the speakers. And I was listening to that and just crying and enjoying that, enjoying the presence of the Lord there with me. This is a recording from 1984, but God's, God was still there and God was slipping in through that uh, recording as I was listening and thinking about how beautiful that was, that kind of whole, that kind of religion, and and um, I was kind of praying internally as I was listening and enjoying this and thinking, why can't we seem to enjoy that kind of thing today? Why can't we seem to have much of that experience of of real? just the power of God's Spirit, and to, for some people it might be just so much emotionalism, and, and I, I know there's a caution there, but um, there's some reality there as well, when God's presence comes and God moves. And as I was kind of asking internally, why, why don't we enjoy more of this these days, it seemed that God spoke to me and said, if you want a better product, you must pay a higher price. If you want a better product, you must pay a higher price. And I, I, I want to be careful. I don't want to indicate to you that <coughs> there's in any way anything that we earn or merit. There's nothing we can do to earn or merit our salvation but as I read the stories and listen to the, the people that 
our church and our world enjoyed in years gone by and the, the kind of relationship with, with God that they had, I look at them and I see that they seemed to be paying and willing to pay a higher price than what a lot of people in the world are paying today. I don't want to unchristianize anybody or, or unsanctify anybody, uh, but simply looking at myself, I began, as, as that struck home to me the other day, I began praying and talking to the Lord and saying, Oh, Lord, would you help me to be willing to pay the higher price? And I started writing things down that I'd struggled with and, and reaching out in faith and trying to believe God and trust God. And God is helping me to dig deeper and to climb higher. And th that might sound like those two don't go together, but uh, it, it really does. Dig deeper, climb higher, pay a higher price, and lay aside things that are ordinary Maybe not, there shouldn't be anything defiling, but laying aside things that are ordinary, things that belong to the kingdom of this world, to be more fully devoted and fully committed to God and to His kingdom. And I believe He can do a work in our heart to where we come to the place where we are glad and happy to be fully and completely identified with God and with His kingdom without any apology or without any shame and let the world say or think what they want to say or think <clears throat> quickly in closing just to just to try to give you a picture of what I'm explaining two two little stories two little stories that I want to give you to contrast these ideas a story I remember hearing when I was a young boy about a a young mother with a baby and she lived in an apartment building. And some responsibility called her away for a while, but her baby, she was putting her baby down for a nap. Her baby was asleep in the crib. And, and so she thought, well, I won't be gone long. I can just leave the baby laying in the crib, and I can go and take care of my, my chore, and then I'll be right back very shortly. And she did that and left. And, and while she was gone, something happened, and fire broke out in that building. And when that young mother came back and saw the flames leaping, she immediately began screaming, crying, where's my baby, where's my baby? And nobody knew, but she knew. And before anyone could stop her or grab hold of her, she rushed into the burning building and ran to where she knew her baby was and wrapped it in some, in some blankets and then rushed out and successfully rescued, saved her baby's life. But in the process, her own clothing caught fire, and she was horribly burned, horribly scarred. She ended up surviving the incident, surviving what happened, uh, but after she recovered some time later, laying in a hospital bed, she asked for a mirror, and the mirror was brought to her, and when she looked in that mirror and saw the reflection of her horribly scarred face she almost fainted because of how horribly disfigured her features had been but as she thought about that she said you know I've got this one consolation that my little girl when she grows up and she understands that these scars were the price paid for her life she will love and value 
these scars. Well, that little girl did grow up. She grew up to be a very beautiful young lady. She was very, very attractive and had many admirers. And one day on a cruise, a little excursion on the Hudson River, this was quite a number of years ago, that young lady was there. Her mother was there in a different part of the boat, river boat. Young men were there surrounding her, uh, the, the daughter, very beautiful, very popular, very attractive And as they were there enjoying the day, the mother, for whatever reason, came from one part of the boat and passed by, went to another. And uh, one of the young men that was there turned to the young lady, the daughter, and said, Who is that woman with that hideous face? And the daughter spoke quietly, softly, but not softly enough. The mother heard her say, I do not know her. Now we know what we think about a daughter like that, don't we? How horrible to have a mother that would pay that kind of a price that she could have life and yet be unwilling to identify with her mother. Now contrast that with another story of a young soldier, a soldier who had been away to war. Both of these true stories as far as I know. Uh, and in, in the process of the war, he'd been through some very dangerous situations and had a, f- had a good friend in, in the military with him who had saved his life. <clears throat> Finally, the time came for discharge. Everybody came back home, and, and uh, there was a, uh, a meal planned with a number of friends, a number of, the, a number of the army buddies that were to be there, and then this man's family, and especially his mother, his mother that had, had prayed for him and been so concerned over, over her son, over his safety all throughout the time serving in the war. And uh, they came and seated the, the son, the, the, the man uh, that was in charge, he arranged the seating in a particular order. And the, the man's mother found herself seated across from a young man, a young soldier, uh, whose face was very disfigured, very scarred. And, and as she was there trying to enjoy the meal and trying to enjoy the company of the others uh, around her, she found that she just had a hard time enjoying the setting because of the young man sitting across her, uh, across the table from her. And after a few moments, she called her son over and she said, son, would it be okay if I could move to a different place? She said, this young man, uh, I feel bad, but his, his scars and his disfigurement is so distracting and it's so, uh, so troubling to me. Could I sit somewhere else? And that son said, well, that would be all right. But mother, she said, he said, I, I thought that you would be particularly interested in sitting across from this young man because, you see, it was this man who was my friend who saved my life in the war. And it's because of his efforts that he was so badly scarred, so badly disfigured, and that's why I'm still alive today. And, but he said, Mother, if you would like to move, I can move. And she, after hearing that, she said, Oh, no, that's okay. You, I'll be happy to sit where I am and, and get to know this young man because she understood then that those scars were the price paid for her own son's life. That's what I mean when I talk about a glad and happy identification with the person involved that you're in relationship with the beauty of holiness is relational 
And friends, no matter what it costs us, no matter the crowd that we are in, no matter the people that are around us or the pressures that we come under, God calls us to this full devotement to Him, to be totally separated from the world, totally separated from sin, and fully consecrated, fully devoted to serving Him. And it is in that that we find that beauty of holiness, that relational aspect. And that's what I want in my heart, in my life, and I believe that's what God wants for you. Amen. Let's stand together, please.